Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. I've entitled this study, Difficult Questions, Reassuring Answers. We're going to look at a longer passage than normal, and it's a little bit of a passage that is at times a little bit complex. And the reason we're going to look at a long passage is we, try, we need to try and understand exactly what Jesus means. So we're going to look at a little bit of repetition. You'll know that over the years, I always try to draw your attention to repetition. Whenever the Bible repeats itself, the writer is intending us to notice something. It's about emphasis. But also, repetition is a way of clarifying things. We've all had that experience where we'll say to somebody, that's not what I meant. And they'll say, but that's what you said. And you say, but that's not what I meant. Sometimes it's difficult to be clear on what we mean. And the context is important, but sometimes what we've repeated before gives weight to the intended meaning. We're going to look at a passage that is interpreted in different ways if you take individual verses. And it, part of the passage, the, uh, uh, we read these words in John 6, 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And you think, oh no, what is Donald about to let us in for? Well, you may want to have a bit of paper and pen. You may want to have the Bible open. You may want to stop and pause and, and think for a few minutes or try and follow it on, uh, in your Bible. But we want to try and understand why they said this was hard teaching. Verse 66 says, From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus asked the twelve, Do you want to leave too? And in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I believe this passage is addressing five really important and fundamental questions. And I'm trying to, going to go through it verse by verse and explore how it answers those questions. And look in the way in which concepts and ideas are repeated. And I've drawn these five questions out because they are the things that are repeated. So here are the five questions from John 6, verse 36 to 71. The first is, what happens when we die? The older we get, the more important that question becomes because it becomes something that we are more aware of is a reality in our lives. The second question, will God turn me away? Is there any circumstances, any reasons why I might be turned away from heaven? Third question, what must I do to be a disciple? What must I do to be saved? Fourth question, can Jesus lose me? And the way this passage is sometimes referred to and sometimes verses from it taken, it does lead some people to have a fear that they are not good enough or not chosen by God or not saved and can be lost. And that leads us to the final question. Does God choose me or do I choose him? So let's try and answer those five questions together as we go through it verse by verse. Just a little reminder of the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. The previous day he's fed 5,000 men plus women and children with loads of food coming out of the five loaves and the two fishes. And there's this miracle that involves bread. 
Now that evening, Jesus withdraws to be on himself, by himself and the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And halfway through their trip, Jesus joins them by walking across the water. And uh, they're obviously apprehensive and afraid, but he gets into the boat with him. The next day, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they go looking for him. And when they find him, uh, Jesus tells them these words, do not work for food that spoils. In other words, don't keep coming to me for another miracle with bread. Rather, uh, work for food that endures to eternal life. And eternal life is a key theme and concept of this whole story. And we're going to look at the last part of this discussion that Jesus has with the crowd. We've looked at this verse, John 6, 27 already. And we, in the last session, we looked at this part where he says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And in our last talk, we talked about Jesus fulfilling. So let's pick it up in verse 36. But as I told you, Jesus says, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And we talked about signs and belief last time. And then he says these words, All whom the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And so we're going to uh, put that question in the context of our five, put that verse in the context of those five questions that we have. All whom the Father gives to me, and uh, all whom the Father gives me will come to me. So that raises this question, does God choose me or do I choose him? Now, Christians will take up different points of view on this. And uh, my understanding, I'll explain to you and show you how and why, but it may well be that you take a different view. And I think that's absolutely fine. Uh, I just want you to try and listen and understand why I understand uh, this question in this way. So let's ask ourselves and, and be clear what this might or might not mean. And I'm going to use an interesting way just of describing what is going on. The heavenly God, the God in heaven, the Father, is giving to the human form God, the Son, Jesus, the, the God in flesh, is giving humanity. Now, what is he giving? And the first interpretation is that he's giving all who are allowed to be saved, that God has chosen who is going to be saved and who is not, and that the heavenly God, the Father, gives that to the human form God, Jesus. Second understanding is that all who have responded to the invitation, in other words, that God is giving to, the Father is giving to Jesus all who have said yes. And the third interpretation is that the Father is giving to the Son the twelve, the people that he's particularly chosen for and the ministry of supporting Jesus. So let's look at the first one. Is this verse saying that God has chosen who will be saved and who won't be saved? Now we find in John's Gospel, which I'm going to pour out more in a few moments, that the word whoever is used an awful lot of times. And whichever way we like it, whoever means anyone, whoever. And uh, in particular in John's Gospel, you get this phrase, whoever believes. It doesn't talk very much about whoever is chosen, but whoever is believes is the key phrase. And then if it's not believes, it's other words like follow or obeys, but it's always this idea of whoever. And the word whoever gives the indication and the first meaning that it's 
whoever, whoever wishes to do this. So however we understand what is going on in this verse, it says, all whom the Father gives me will come to me. We've got to hold it in parallel with the idea of whoever. So the second idea to me has more resonance. That the Father gives to the Son all who have responded to the invitation. In other words, that God invites or knocks on the door of the heart or calls everyone to follow him. But that whoever believes, whoever follows, whoever repents, whoever accepts this calling, this um, message from the Father is given to the Son. And uh, whoever rejects that is lost. Now the third understanding is that this is simply about the twelve. And that God chooses all people for unique tasks. He chose 12 people to be the 12 disciples. And he's chosen you and I for a unique task. And whoever obeys the calling for the task is fruitful. But it's not about salvation, it's about task. And whoever rejects is not rewarded. Now we're going to see right at the very end of this passage that he talks about having chosen the 12 and then one of them, Judas, rejects that calling. And so that lends us to an understanding that in my mind, this verse is, passage is probably about two, uh, point two and point three. And not for me about Paul, uh, about uh, the, the point number one, are all, is he calling just those who are saved? So is this verse about the call to be Jesus' disciple, the 12, or is it about the call to be saved? I think it hints at both. But in answer to the question, does God choose me or do I choose him? My understanding is both is going on. God has called you. God has chosen you. God does want you. He knocks on the door of your heart. He invites you to follow him. The Holy Spirit has been at work in your life, calling you to follow him. But for me, all of us have a choice as to whether we respond to that call. And we'll explain that more as we go on. But my answer to that question, does God choose me or do I choose him, is both. But let's look at the second part of the verse because that answers another one of the key questions, which is, will God turn me away? And this is where we get this emphasis. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, says Jesus. And that, for me, reinforces this idea that God hasn't decided who can be saved. He's saying, look, if you come to Jesus, you will never, ever be turned away. And no one will be rejected when we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And I think that's a really important uh, principle. And the third question that this alludes to is that question, what must I do to be a disciple? And the answer comes within this verse, whoever comes to me. So in order to be a disciple, in order to be saved, in order to be a follower of Jesus, we need to make the effort to go to Jesus. It's a choice, it's a decision, it is an action. We seek Jesus out. And so we move on. John uh, 6.38, For I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So what is this will that Jesus has come, that the, the God in human form has come from the heavenly God, to do what? This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. So the will of God is, to, is that Jesus would save. 
So we uh, ask our questions. And the first question is, can Jesus lose me? Can I start out and receive Jesus in my life? Can I invite him to be my savior? And then discover that I'm no longer in the palm of his hand. And this is where this passage is absolutely clear. Jesus says, I shall lose none. No one. And so the answer, can Jesus lose me, is an emphatic no. That if I come to Jesus and I ask for his help and his mercy and his salvation, he will not lose me and he will not turn me away. And then our first question was, what happens when I die? And this is where Jesus says something important. He says, but I will raise them up at the last day. What happens when we die is clear in the teaching of Jesus in that we sleep when we die. We don't sit and observe the rest of life going on without us. We don't even go into heaven ahead of those who are still alive. We sleep and we will be raised on the last day so that we enter heaven at the same time as those who we loved who have died at a different time to us. So we're not alone in heaven. We are instantly reunited. We will be raised on the last day. That is the good news of Christianity. The death is not uh, an entry to a place on our own, nor is it the entry to a a side-by-side world where we watch those we care for struggling and suffering without us. No, we sleep and then we will be raised And John continues, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And look how he is re-emphasizing. So this is where I talk about the importance of trying to say, well, what what do the difficult verses mean? I look at the repetition. And we've got this re-emphasizing key concepts. Everyone, whoever, everyone believes and raise. And this is telling us the key thrust of what Jesus wants to say. So we ask ourselves the question, will God turn me away? And the answer emphatically is no. Uh, for who, everyone who looks to the Son uh, and believes in him shall have eternal life. We ask ourselves the question, what must I do to be a bis- disciple? And the answer comes back, everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. We need to go to Jesus and believe in him. And we ask ourselves the question, what happens when I die? And again, we get the repetition, the answer, I will raise them up at the last day. We sleep and then resurrection. At this, verse 41, the Jews then began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. So this is like part grumbling about our previous two talks. How can he claim to be the manna, the God provision in line with the story in Exodus? And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They're looking for a reason to reject Jesus. Because he is talking about himself being the bread of life, that he is what they need, that he is the most important thing in their life. And they find that uncomfortable. Stop grumbling among yourself, Jesus answered. No one comes to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. So again, this will raise for some of us a tricky question. No one comes to me unless the Father sent me. So is this saying that God has chosen who is to be saved? 
And I want to ask three questions that I believe the whole of Scripture gives a clear answer to. The first question is this. Is it possible to find God without his inviting presence, without the sense of his Holy Spirit knocking on a person's heart? Is it possible to know God without having him knock first on our heart? And I think Scripture, and this verse is one of those Scriptures, is absolutely clear that it's not. We can't find God until he reveals himself to us. We can't find God until by his Holy Spirit, he prompts, he whispers, he reveals that he comes first to us. He makes the first move, the first step. That leads us on then to a really important second question. Is it possible that God would not invite someone? Now, this is where Christianity divides into different camps, commonly called the Reformed or Calvinist theology or the Arminian or uh, 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 other theology. And I want to be clear in my understanding as I read the rest of John, as I read the rest of this passage, as I look at how many times John uh, and the rest of the Bible uses the word whoever. When I even think about the most important scripture uh, possibly in the New Testament, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, that the, 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 the... the overwhelming thrust of the vast majority of the New Testament is that whoever believes will be saved. So that leads me to the answer that I don't believe it is possible that God hasn't invited everyone. In Revelation, we have this wonderful picture of Jesus knocking on the door. And he says, uh, you need to let me in. We need to allow Jesus. And this passage that we're looking at continually talks about our action of believing, of going to Jesus, of receiving him. And we're going to look in a minute too at the whole concept of eating. So is it possible that God would not invite someone? I don't think it is. Now, other Christians take a different view. Some of you will take a different view. But I want you at least to understand why I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. So is it possible, therefore, to say no to God? And I think the answer is yes. I think this passage is in part about how Judas says no to God. It's in part about how those crowds that we hear left Jesus and no longer wanted to follow him, about how they say no to God. I think it's implicit that Jesus is saying, you have a choice. You need to choose to follow me or not. So we go back to our questions. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws draws them. And from my understanding, it's another way in which uh, this passage is saying, yes, both God chooses me and I choose him. He has called me. He wants me. You can't come to the Father unless he draws us. And that's the work of his spirit. Can I refuse it? Yes. But I can't come to him without God drawing me in. But the second part of the verse is again, notice this this emphasis, I will raise them up on the last day. This is the third time in, in, in just a few verses where he wants us to understand, I will raise them up. So we need to be clear on the emphasis of John 6. The emphasis here is you will sleep, you will die and be raised at the end. Verse 45, is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God and everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. Notice this word and. 
those who hear the Father and learn. And we know again from the teachings of the New Testament and Jesus that it is possible to hear but not hear. In other words, it's possible to hear words but not to receive them in our heart. It's possible to, uh, as James puts it, to look in the mirror but not change our appearance. It's possible to hear words but not receive them. So how does this passage again relate? I think it's both another emphasis on this idea that uh, God does choose me, but I also choose him. And I need to listen to his voice. But also answering that question, what must I do to be a disciple? I need to go to Jesus. No one has seen the Father, verse 46, except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And this is this, again, uniqueness of Jesus, which goes back to our early passages in John 1, which you remember and you can go back and look. Very truly, he says, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. Why is he saying this again? This is, how many times has he said this already? I think he's repeating it because he doesn't want us to think that only people chosen by God are saved. Whoever believes. You see where we're trying to get the context? We're trying to take what does he say most often and give that the way of understanding what particular and individual verses mean. So will God turn me away? The answer is no. Whoever believes. What must I do to be a disciple? I must believe. And what happens? I get eternal life. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we've looked at this more fully in our last study, but just a reminder that this concept of being the bread of life is that we are the one, that God is the one, Jesus is the one whom we need, the one from God and the one who satisfies. And you can see all of that in our last talk. Your ancestors ate the manna, the bread, in the wilderness, yet they died. And this is uh, Jesus going back over some of the stuff we looked at in our last study. But here is the bread that comes from heaven, which people may eat and not die. Look how he's emphasizing again that you may eat it, you may receive. We're going to come back in a moment and understand why he uses the language of eating the bread. But the important thing is it's another verse explaining about the resurrection and eternal life. I am the living bread, verse 51, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Whoever, can you see, saying it again? Whoever, will God turn me away? No, because whoever eats of this bread, whoever receives Jesus. And what does it mean then to eat the bread? How do we eat Jesus? Some people refer, think it refers to communion. But it doesn't seem really in the context that that is what this is about. This is not really a literal eating. This is about the metaphor of Jesus being the bread from heaven. So to eat is this concept of receiving, of accepting, of depending upon Jesus as the bread of life. But particularly, I think, the idea of inviting in. So when we eat the bread, when we're in communion, when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are receiving something internally. To eat Jesus is not a literal thing, but it is to say, I receive you within. And we're receiving Jesus as the bread of life, the one who is needed. We're receiving him as the one from God. And we're receiving him as the one who satisfies. To eat Jesus is, is not a literal thing. 
It is to say, Jesus, I am depending on you. I am receiving you. Come into my life because I need you and because you are all I need. So what must I do to be a disciple? I need to eat. I need to receive internally, invite in Jesus. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, why does he talk about drinking the blood? It seems to be a real uh, reference to his upcoming sacrifice, to the idea of the Passover lamb, which we've talked about already when, uh, in John's gospel, the lamb who was slain. And so he's saying, not only do you receive me, but you have to receive the sacrifice I'm about to make. You have to receive my blood shed for you, my body given for you. So what must I do to be a disciple? I eat and drink. I go to and receive and invite Jesus and his work on the cross. And he uses this word, unless. If we reject the sacrifice of Jesus, then we will be rejecting Jesus. And that rolls back to this idea that we have the power to say no. He says, unless you do this, you have to do this. This is your choice. And then he repeats himself. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Are you hearing and feeling the repetition? You can almost do the talk for me. Will God turn me away? No, because whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever receives internally, invites Jesus in and accepts the work of the cross will not be turned away. What must I do? I need to eat and drink. I need to receive. Why? Because when I die, Jesus wants to give me eternal life. Notice the repetition that is going on. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his flesh uh, destroyed for us and his blood shed for us is the real thing that we need. So we need to be a disciple means to go to the cross and receive Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Whoever, see that word again? Will God turn me away? No, because if I eat and drink from the cross, I will, uh, he will remain in me. And so we go to the cross. And can he lose me? No, he will remain in me and I in them. Once Jesus has come into my life by his Holy Spirit, he is not going to leave. He's not going to get the huff. He's not going to walk away and say, this, this uh, temple is inadequate. This person is not a good enough follower. When we receive Jesus into our lives, he remains. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? He cannot be lost. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is verse 57. And again, we see this emphasis that we need to feed on Jesus. We need to receive and we need to believe and we need to go to him. And then we will live. When we die, we will live. The resurrection 
This is the bread, verse 58, that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You know, you're getting as bored uh, as uh, perhaps uh, you, you think you can be. Here he is saying it again, forever. He's wanting them to grasp. He's talking about eternal life. Verse 59, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On the hearing, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? In other words, if you're offended by my words, you wait till you see me resurrected and in the resurrected body ascend and return to heaven without death, having conquered death. You wait to see that I, have, I am the one who brings eternal life. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. You will see me, he says, conquer death, and I will prove to you that I bring you life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So we're getting this hint now about Judas. He knew what was going to happen. Does that mean he purposed it? I don't think so, and I'll show you why in a moment. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. So taken in isolation, is this verse saying, look, you can't be a Christian unless God has chosen you. From what I've shown you before and the repetition and the number of times he talks about not turning people away, the number of times he talks about whoever, the number of times he gives the instruction on what you need to do, the implication for me is clear, that I can't find God without him calling me. But he calls everyone. And so we go back to our questions. Is it possible to find God without his inviting presence? And I would say no. Is it possible that God would not invite someone? And I would say no. Is it possible to say no to God? And I would say yes. Because for me, that is the clear thrust and inference of this whole passage in context. I can take verse 65 out of context and make it say something different. But I've got to get rid of all whoever's, all the everyone's, and all the unless. Is it possible to say no to God? Yes, it is. From this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So why do they turn back? Well, from the very beginning, it starts because he tells them that he's not going to do another miracle. He's not going to turn more bread into a big feast. So maybe some of them left because there was not going to be a spectacular miracle. And that's the beginning of this whole conversation, which we've split into three talks, but really is one conversation. But I think alongside that, there was an unwillingness to believe that Jesus was uniquely from God, that he had the right to say these things. It made them feel uncomfortable. And they felt that they couldn't accept who he was. And in particular, that they couldn't trust that he was the bread of life, that he was sufficient, that, that all the other things they were putting their trust in were inadequate alongside Jesus. And they weren't prepared to eat and drink from the cross. 
They weren't prepared to receive the sacrifice. Do you remember that this began because the crowd wanted him to be king by force? You may well go back a few sessions. That they, they, in the night before, they've come to make him king and he withdraws. They want a powerful, charismatic, miracle-doing savior. And he is coming as the one whose blood is to be shed and whose flesh uh, is given for mankind. Do you want me to leave too? Do you want to leave me too, he says. And he asks the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, we've heard that what this has all been about is your desire to give us life after death. And this is the thrust of this passage. We're not going to go anywhere else because all these other questions are insignificant in comparison. And we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. So that seems to be the reason why the others had rejected. They were rejecting Jesus as the Holy One of God, but they've come to believe that he is the Holy One of God. What must they do to be a disciple? Believe. And Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who through one of the twelve was later, though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Have I not chosen you, yet one of you is a devil? In other words, he's chosen not Judas to be a devil. I don't think that's what this passage is suggesting. But he chose Judas, who has chosen the devil, who's chosen to reject. Judas was not chosen to betray him. He was chosen to be one of the twelve. And that, for me, is the re-emphasis that we have a responsibility to react to the invitation of God. He chooses us. He chooses us to follow him. He chooses us to serve him. He has a purpose, a plan for us. He has things that he's intended us to do, but we have the choice to reject or not. So does God choose me or do I choose him? There are four verses that I think suggest that it's important at least to understand that he chooses us, but that for me, that he chooses, uh, that we have the power to reject that choice. What happens when I die? There are nine verses that repeat this idea of being raised up to eternal life. Will God turn me away? There are seven verses that mention clearly that he will not turn people away. What must I do to be a disciple? There are 11 times in this passage that he says we need to come to him, believe and receive the cross. Can Jesus lose me? There are two verses that make it very clear that he won't and he can't and we are safe in his hands. So as we draw to a close, the answers from John 6 are this. Firstly, the main emphasis, the main thrust of this passage is that you and I need to go to Jesus. We need to believe and we need to receive and accept his sacrifice, the cross. Again and again and again, whoever comes, believes, eats, drinks, there is an action and a response that we need to do. 
Why? Because the de- our death is not intended to be the end, that he wants to raise us to eternal life. He wants to give us a life after this, not alongside it, but after it. And that we then can trust God that he will never turn us away. So he can't look at us and say, no, you're not on the list. He can't look at us and say, no, you haven't done enough. We just trust and call out to Jesus and he will never lose us. And so we need to give thanks for that invitation, that call, that prompting, that uh, knock on our heart's door and we need to respond to his call, not like Judas and turn away, not like the crowds who didn't want it, They heard the words, but they didn't receive them. No, we need to receive Jesus. So as we prayerfully conclude our questions for reflection, do I believe in Jesus and receive his sacrifice? Am I living for this life or eternal life? Have I understood that the thrust here is about looking forward to something that is to come rather than believing this life is all there is? And am I grateful and secure in God's call? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do not turn us away, that you never leave or forsake us, that you won't allow us to be lost when we come to you, when we believe in you, when we cry out to you, when we receive your sacrifice, we are safe. And you will raise us up. Help us to live lives focused on what is to come, investing on what is to come, trusting in what is to come. Let us be people with hope. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.